So we're kicking off a five-week series uh, entitled Values, all right? So we're going to be going through, uh, we have five values here at Fellowship Oshawa, and we're going to be working through each of the five values that we have as a church one week at a time uh, to kick this off, uh, partly as a way to introduce you guys to our church and what we're about as a church. So I'm really excited about this series, and I think you're going to see as we go through this series, we're going to play that video each week for the next five weeks uh, as a way to kind of help you guys see what the big picture is, what the vision is, and the strategy for how you can get involved and how we can begin to see uh, the vision come to fruition. So our mission statement here at Fellowship Oshawa is lighting the way to life-changing encounters with God and life-giving relationships with other people through the multiplication of ordinary disciples. So our values... What are values? Well, there's a couple of ways I can describe this. Our values are the why of what we do. They explain why we do what we do. Another way I've heard them described is they're the die force. What I mean by that is that they're the things that, that no matter what, we are going to make this a part of who we are. We're willing to die for those things, right? It's the filter through which every decision that we make goes through. So, uh, we've got five values here at Fellowship Oshawa, and I'm just going to walk you through them briefly real quick, do a short introduction, but we're going to focus on just one for the majority of our time this morning. They'll be up on the screen behind me. So our first value is the Bible. We value the Bible. Uh, and the way that we do that is we, we ask questions like this. Is what we're doing biblical? Is it affirmed by Scripture? Okay. Our second value is risk-taking faith. So we filter risk-taking faith by asking questions like, is this step demonstrating faith in God, or are we trust, trusting in our own resources or wisdom to accomplish this? Our third value is selfless hospitality. And so we filter that by asking questions like, how is this helping us demonstrate the love of God to our neighbors, or how are we welcoming those who are different than us? Our fourth value is all people, and specifically people that are far from God. So we always ask the question, how is what we are doing helping us to reach people who don't know God, to carry out the Great Commission. And lastly, multiplication. We value multiplication. So we'll filter multiplication by asking questions like, how is this helping us make disciples that make disciples and plant churches that plant churches? Because ultimately we have a vision. The church, this church, this vision doesn't end here. We want to see many churches planted out of Fellowship Oshawa. We want to see many disciples made and many missionaries sent out of this church in the years to come. So as you can see, values affect all that we do as a church. Uh, let me give you an example of uh, what that might look like. Say uh, the value of risk-taking faith, right? If we have a program uh, that we're thinking about starting, if we've got, uh, say we're going to go, uh, for example, we're going to be volunteering at the uh, pregnancy care center in a couple of weeks, okay? So we're going to ask the question, uh, how is this helping us to demonstrate faith in God? Are we relying on our own resources are we relying on the flesh when we do this? Or are we placing our faith and trust in Jesus? Because when we put ourselves in position to where we need God to come through, that's when we have the opportunity to see God be God. All right? So this morning we're talking about our first value, the Bible. Now, obviously, you should probably most of you aren't surprised that we would talk about the Bible at church. I mean, I'm a preacher. I have a Bible in my hand. I'm sure none of you are shocked or surprised by that yet. All right? But what most people don't know about me is that the Bible wasn't always important to me. In fact, for most of my life, the Bible was merely a source of inspiration. And maybe, you some, maybe some of you know what I'm talking about, and you may have been there, right? So the Bible was, was what I would pick up 
when I was in a bad spot, right? So if I was having a really bad day or if I was letting my, you know, my wife was in a really bad place and I started getting desperate and I would, you know, what, I don't know about you guys, but like I would love to turn to the Psalms, right? Because the Psalms have a lot of really good like motivational things, kind of give you enough juice to get through the next couple hours, right? So it's kind of like I treated the Bible a little bit like medicine, right? When I got sick and I wasn't feeling good, I'd, I'd, you know, take a little bit of Bible and then feel a little bit better and, you know, be fine for a couple weeks and maybe a couple weeks later I'd need a little bit more Bible to kind of get me through. Does that sound familiar to anybody? The reality is, is I read the Bible for 23 years of my life before it really made a difference. My former life was defined by instability, by chaos, by turmoil. You see, I really didn't know what I was building my life on. I really didn't have a foundation for my life. My decisions were made based off of my feelings or based off of the friends around me and what they were doing. It was always changing. The ground beneath me was kind of like shifting sand, and I never really felt like I had a solid foundation to stand on. I don't know if any of that is ringing a bell with any of you. We're all tempted to build our lives on other things, aren't we? I mean, let's face it, sometimes the Bible can seem boring, right? I mean, let's not try to be too super spiritual here. If we're being honest, sometimes we feel like the Bible's boring. We find other more important or exciting things to do. I mean, sometimes we've just got so much homework, and I haven't had hardly any sleep the past couple of nights. And I know it's important to read the Bible, but I just have to get some sleep. i got to do this homework. It can wait. Or, you know, the Leafs game is on tonight. I know I need to watch that, but, but there's this guy named Austin Matthews, and I don't know if you know, but Austin Matthews is the savior of the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's the first hockey player to ever score four goals in his first game as a rookie. So there's light now at the end of the tunnel for Leafs fans. I mean, who can miss one of Austin Matthews' first games, right? For others of you, the Bible is just hard to believe. I mean, am I, how do you expect me to really believe a book that tells a story about some dude named Noah who got two of every single kind of animal on the entire planet, put them onto one boat while God flooded the entire world for 40 days, and then the water came down and they just waltzed off the boat, and that's how we got to where we are today, right? We all build our lives on something. We all get our advice somewhere. Now, if you're one of those people who gets most of their advice from Facebook memes, I want you to know I'm praying for you this morning. And that's also probably why things aren't working out so well for you. The question to be honest about this morning is this. What really guides your decisions in life? What guides your talks with your kids? What establishes the morals you live by? Young people, what guides your career choices? What guides how you're going to leverage your life, how you're going, what career field you're going to choose to go into, what major you're going to pick at university? The case I want to make this morning is that stability in life comes from trusting and treasuring God's word. Stability in life comes from trusting and treasuring God's word. Now, we all long for stability and security in our lives. It's, a, it's an ingrained human desire that we have. We all just naturally have it. And I've found that there are three common things that people base their decisions on that people use as their foundation other than the Bible. 
For some, it's culture or tradition. So, in other words, we, would, we could phrase that as we do what our family or our culture has always done. Some of us, that's just, we just do what we've always done, right? I don't really know why I make the decisions that I make. That's just what we've always done. For others, it's peer pressure. We do what we see the other people around us doing, right? Now, I know that uh, there's, so I'm from Austin, Texas, and Austin, Texas uh, is famous for hipsters. You guys know what hipsters are, right? So hipsters are the people that think that they're different from everybody else, but in fact, what they're really doing is they're all just getting together and being hipsters together and copying each other. So they're not as original as they think they are. If there's any hipsters in here, I'm sorry if I offended you. We do what we see the other people around us doing. For others, it's their emotions, and I think this is a big one, especially in our culture today. We do what our emotions tell us to do. We make our decisions based on how we feel at the present time. Now, does anybody here, does anybody here see the problem with this? The problem with this is that all of those things change. They change. Your emotions, some of you, your emotions change from the hour. Others of us, our emotions change by the day, right? The trends and the fads of the people around us, they go in and out of style. The culture, what culture says is acceptable, goes in and out of style. Even, even tradition changes. Maybe not at the speed of emotions, but it changes. When we build our lives on things like this, we don't know what's true. We base our, our morals, our conception of truth, off of what we want to be true. And we think that this will give us freedom because, hey, I've got autonomy. I've got the decisions to be able to, I can make my decisions based off of what I want to make my decisions off of. But in reality, we don't get freedom this way at all. Because you know what ends up happening to us? We end up living storm-tossed lives, shifting from one to the other, sometimes basing our decisions off of emotions, sometimes off of the peers around us, sometimes off of what our family wants to do. Shifting from one thing to another, never, never really knowing what's right and what's true. And some, chaos. But I want you to know this morning that you don't have to live that way. God has revealed what's true in his word. But you see, exposure to the Bible isn't enough. It does no good for us to read the Bible if we don't apply it to our lives, if we don't submit ourselves to God's word. Now, real quick, before we move into some answers for how we can do that, I want to tell you what's going to happen if you don't learn to trust and treasure the Bible. Here's a couple of things that will happen if you don't learn to trust and treasure the Bible. Number one, you're going to continue to live a conflicted life as you continue to shift your foundation from tradition to peer pressure to emotions. You're going to continue to live that storm-tossed life you're going to always feel conflicted. You're going to make big life decisions in the dark. Do you really want to make big life decisions in the dark? Don't you want to know for certain what's guiding your life before you make big life decisions? Parents, what will happen for you is you'll pass on that instability to your kids. If you make those decisions, right, those big life decisions in the dark, your kids are going to make those big life decisions in the dark. The second thing that's going to happen if we don't learn to trust and treasure the Bible, God's word, is that we'll feel far from God. We'll continue to feel far from God. I know that there's some of you in this room this morning that feel far from God. We'll struggle to hear God's voice. And quite frankly, frankly, we'll, we'll literally begin to starve to death spiritually. And Jesus describes 
God's word is the bread of life, right? When we don't eat, we starve. The third thing that will happen if we don't learn to trust and treasure the Bible is that we will lead ourselves wide open to temptation. And potentially, we will endanger our soul. Now, I don't mean to scare you with this quote. I'm not putting this quote up as a scare quote. I'm not putting this quote up because it's intense. I'm putting this quote up because it's true. Charles Spurgeon said once, he said to his congregation, he said, there is enough dust on your Bibles to write damnation with your fingertips. Ouch, right? You see, Psalm 119 says, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's word is given to you to protect you from temptation. But when we neglect God's word, we leave ourselves wide open to temptation. And so here's my fear for those of you who don't trust and treasure God's word. My fear for you is that you're going to drift. Anybody uh, know the analogy of the frog, how you boil a frog in water, right? You don't drop the frog in uh, you know, a boiling pot of water or the frog hops out, right? How do you boil a frog in water? You put the frog in the water when it's still nice and cool, and you slowly turn up the heat on the stove, and the water slowly starts to boil, and the frog doesn't even know it. And all of a sudden, it's too late, right? And the frog is cooked. It's kind of like what happens to us whenever we begin to drift. It's a slow and it's a subtle shift. And before we know it, we begin to boil. So we need an anchor in our lives to keep us from drifting. Now I have good news. You can find stability. You can find stability in your life this morning, and it starts by trusting and treasuring God's word. Now, immediately, what I want to do, I want to address a couple of barriers real quick, because I know that there are probably some of you sitting here in this room right now, that there are immediate questions coming up into your mind, and there's barriers coming up, and you're going, nope, I don't agree with that. There are too many problems with the Bible. So what I want to do is I want to quickly address three common barriers, three common objections that people have to the Bible that I think are pretty easily answered if we just take the time to dig into them. So the first one is this. The first common objection is the Bible's text has changed too much over history. It's just changed too much. It's 2,000 years old. There's no way it's the same as it was when they wrote it. It just can't be the same text. I don't know how we could possibly trust that book. Well, the Bible has over 25,000 manuscripts in circulation right now. A manuscript is a copy of the Word of God in antiquity, right? A copy that's been preserved, whether through archaeology or something like that. Let me tell you something. The next closest work of history that has the next uh, highest amount of manuscripts is Homer's Iliad and Odyssey, and it has 600 manuscripts. The Bible has 25,000 manuscripts. Just recently, there was a scroll from Leviticus uh, that they had actually discovered some time ago, uh, but they were not able to unroll it because it was, it was in such bad shape, it was going to crumble apart, but they've discovered technology that allowed them to digitally read this scroll. This scroll was 1,700 years old from the year 300 A.D., and you know what they discovered when they opened up this scroll and they read what was inside? They discovered that this portion of Leviticus was the exact same text we have today. You know what that tells us? That means that in 1,700 years, not one jot or tittle of Scripture has been changed. It's exactly the same. It's been preserved perfectly. Another common objection we have that we'll hear sometimes is that there are just too many inconsistencies in the Bible. And quite frankly, uh, this is just not true. (laughs) 
the inconsistencies that most uh, scholars will refer to are minor, minor textual variants, uh, and they result from the fact that we have so many New Testament manuscripts. The more manuscripts we have, that just, you know, math shows us that we're going to have more uh, variants in the text, okay? So, and you have to remember that scrolls were hand-copied, okay? They didn't have, like, printers and copy machines back then. They were hand-copied by scribes, and so, yes, there is human error at times. The reality is, is that 94% of the New Testament is exactly the same in virtually every single existing manuscript we have, and we've got 25,000 of them. 94% of the New Testament text is exactly the same. An additional 3% is virtually the same in all of them except a couple, and the variants are things like they forgot to dot an I, or there was an iota instead of an epsilon. Those are two Greek letters, okay? Something like that. But none of these variants change the meaning of Scripture. None of them change the message of Scripture. We can be confident, more than in any other book ever written in history, the Bible is the most attested work of history in the history of the world, by far. And to be honest with you, if we're going to discount the Bible, then we have to discount every single other history book we have. Because we have, less, we have less reliable evidence for all the other history books we have than we have for the Bible. So if we throw the Bible out, then we've also got to throw Iliad and Odyssey out. We've also got to throw, you know, all the Roman history that we have out. Because that's not valid either. The third objection uh, that, that I'll hear sometimes, uh, and a lot of people have questions about this, is, well, what, wasn't the Bible written by man? Wasn't the Bible written by man? So I want to answer this objection with a question to you in return. What's the alternative for God to give us his word? The heavenly press? Is God going to rain down Bibles from heaven and they're just going to appear? Let me ask you this. How else would God give us his word? Is it, is it really that hard to believe that God could actually work through men? That God could actually inspire men to write scripture? That he could actually speak to his creation. Second Peter uh, chapter 1 verse 21 says, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, I hope you see that, I hope this objection doesn't trip you up this morning, that the Bible was written by man, because the reality is, is that that can't prove that the Bible is unre unreliable simply by saying that men wrote it. What's the alternative? If God is to give us his word. So, like I said, we can't, make, we can't do a full apologetics course this morning, and that's not my intention, but uh, we can talk about this more later if you have more questions. But with these barriers out of the way for the time being, let's take the next few moments to look at what God has to say about his word. And here's what I want us to see. I want us to see why we should trust God's word. I want us to see why we should treasure God's word. And I want us to see how we can trust and treasure God's word. Why we can trust God's word, why we can treasure God's word, and how we can trust and treasure God's word. So, first point, we can trust God's word because we can trust the God who wrote it. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26 says this, Lift up your eyes on high and see, who created these? Who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name? He's referring to the stars. By the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Our God is a powerful God. Numbers 23, 19 says this about God. It says that God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. 
Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? You see, we can trust God's word because we can trust the God who wrote it. The God who wrote, who gave us the Bible is the very God that put the stars in the sky. He's the very God that formed you when you were in your mother's womb. Because he is holy, because he is perfect, God cannot lie. He can't even cast a shadow of deceit. Everything about him is holy and true and perfect. And he cannot mislead or else he wouldn't be God. It's not in his character. It's important for you guys to know that at Fellowship Oshawa, we believe that the Bible is inerrant. And um, Kevin DeYoung has a, a good description of what that means. He says, inerrancy means the word of God always stands over us and we never stand over the word of God. When we reject inerrancy, we put ourselves in judgment over God's word. We claim the right to determine which part of God's revelation can be trusted and which part cannot. Now, I know that this is unnatural for a lot of people. This, this idea of objective truth is unnatural. And I think all of us at our core, we buck against that. And we don't like that. Because, you see, we want, we want to be able to keep things open for interpretation, right? It's, it's, it's beneficial for us to be able to keep things open for interpretation because that way we get to stay in control. But you see, this is at the root and the heart of sin. Because we get to remain the boss. But you see, this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, right? And God gave them everything that they could ever possibly want. And he gave them one statute, one rule. He said, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? But Adam and Eve decided they wanted to call the shots. They decided that they didn't trust God, that they wanted to be their own boss. And so they disregarded what God said, and they went and they did their own thing. You see, they wanted to be in control. They didn't want God's truth to be their truth. They wanted to keep things open for interpretation. So when the serpent told them to question what God has said, they said, that sounds pretty good to us. And so they did, and they disobeyed. You see, what we do this, whenever we put ourselves, whenever we start to pick and choose which part of the Bible we want to believe and which part we don't want to believe, in reality, what we're doing is that we're making our own feelings and our own experiences the final arbiter of truth. We're creating God in our own image. But guys, we don't have a right to do that, number one. And number two, that's a foolish thing to do. Don't you want to worship the one true God, the God who really is? Do you really want to worship a figment of your imagination, a God that you've created in your own image, a God who is not God at all? You see, God is not a mix and match God. When he revealed himself to Moses, he said, I am who I am. Picking and choosing what scripture we want to believe is a disastrous way to live because we live and we walk on shifting sand. But we don't have to live this way because not only is God's word trustworthy because God is trustworthy, but God's word is good. You see, there's a common misconception that a lot of people have that the Bible is a list of do's and don'ts that we have to follow, that the Bible is a list of rules. And so I think naturally we reject it and we don't want anything to do with that and we try to suppress that because we don't want to have to follow a list of rules. 
But listen to what James chapter 2, verse 10 says. It's on the screen behind me. It says, For whoever keeps the whole law, meaning the Bible, but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. That's some pretty high standards, isn't it? You know, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus, to cap off the Sermon on the Mount, he was telling us how we are to live if we want to live in God's will. And he said, you therefore must be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. How many of you have been able to measure up to that standard? Why did Jesus say that? Because Jesus knew that we couldn't measure up to God's law. God knew we couldn't measure up to the commands of the Bible. The Bible is not given so that we can measure up to the commands. You see, the Bible is not a list of rules to keep. The Bible is a story of redemption. Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 39, to a group of people he's teaching, he said, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Do you realize what Jesus is saying? He's saying that all the Bible, all of Scripture is meant to point you to Jesus. It's meant to point you to Jesus. You see, all of the Bible is a story. It's not a list of rules to keep. It's a story about how God created you and he created me in his own image. And he put the very breath that we have in our lungs and he gave us a creation to enjoy. But even though he did that, we turned away from him. We said, I don't want you to be my boss. I don't want to obey you. I want to go my own way. And we turned our backs on God and we began to work against God. But God loved us so much. And even though we deserve judgment, God, from the beginning of time, made a plan. From the beginning of the foundations of the world, he determined to send his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And God sent Jesus. He left heaven. He came to this world. And he lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. And even though he did that, Jesus was crucified on a cross. And Jesus was crucified on that cross to take the wrath of God that you deserve and that I deserve as our substitute in our place. In all the Old Testament points forward to Jesus. Millions, thousands of prophecies in the Old Testament pointing us forward to the one who is going to come, the Messiah. And all of the New Testament bears witness to this Jesus that he is the only way and the only truth and the only life. And the Bible tells this story of redemption about how we can be rescued and forgiven of our sins. And even though we've been God's enemies, we can be brought back into a right relationship with God, And it tells the story about how Jesus rose from the grave, he ascended into heaven, and he has promised that one day he is coming back again soon. He is returning for his people, for all who believe on his name. Guys, I want you to know that that is why the Bible was written. It was written so to tell you to turn from your sins and because salvation is offered through Jesus. It's God's letter to you. It's God crying out to you, return to me. You know, that's why Christians can say things like, like Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. You see, that verse doesn't make sense if we look at the Bible as a list of oppressive rules that we have to keep to get to heaven. The Bible's not sweet when we look at that. The Bible's a story that points you to the Savior, the only one that could do what you and I could not do. 
Jeremiah 15, he says, Your words, O God, were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name. Do you know God's word like that? Do you trust and treasure God's word? You see, this is where real stability in our lives is found. So I'll ask you, what is your anchor? What guides your decisions? What guides your talks with your kids? What guides what TV shows you watch and what TV shows you don't watch? What guides how you spend your money? Is it your emotions? Is it habit, tradition, what you've always done? Is it the people around you doing what they're doing? So as we get ready to close, I want to move forward into some implications. How can we begin today to trust and treasure God's word in our lives? And first, I want to address this corporately because we started off by saying that this is a value of Fellowship Oshawa. So individually, we're called to trust and treasure God's word, but as a church, as a body of believers, we're called to trust and treasure God's word. So how are we as a church going to do that? Three quick things. First, we're going to preach from it. We're going to preach from God's word every week. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. This was actually the very passage that God used to call me into ministry. This is the passage that God spoke directly to me through and told me, Jared, I want you to preach the gospel for the rest of your life. And here's what it says. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. We have a charge, a command from Jesus to preach the word of God. And so everybody in our church, as long as I have anything to do with it, whoever stands up in this pulpit will preach from God's word and no other. We won't ever teach another truth. We won't ever, ever preach another gospel We'll preach the truth of God that's found in his word. Secondly, Fellowship Oshawa will proclaim God's word. We proclaim God's word. We're not just called to preach the word of God from the pulpit. We're not just called to go and declare this truth here from the pulpit. But we're all called to go and to make disciples. We're all called to go into our city, to be salt and light into our city, to proclaim the truth of what we see in the Bible. We're surrounded by Hundreds of thousands of people who are far from God. Hundreds of thousands of people that don't know God, that have not heard God's voice, that don't know his truth, and we have it right here. We have to go and tell people. Third, we're going to let the Bible be our final authority as a church. There's a story uh, in Acts chapter 4 in the early church where Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples, they had become apostles, and the church had just been birthed, and they get arrested. And they get arrested by some religious leaders, by the scribes and the Pharisees, and they get brought before the Sanhedrin, and they're questioned, and they, they stand them up and they tell them, we command you to not teach anymore in the name of Jesus Christ, or else. Don't do it. And they looked at those men and they said, whether you think it's right to obey you rather than God, judge for yourselves. But as for us, we must obey God rather than man. 
That's what it means to let the Bible hold the final authority over our lives. So that means if the government comes in the doors next week and says, you guys are not allowed to teach in the name of Jesus anymore. We'll look at them and we'll love them, but we're going to tell them we can't stop proclaiming what we've seen and heard. We can't stop teaching in the name of Jesus. We have to obey the Lord rather than man. Now, how can you trust and treasure God's word? What are, what are things that you can do this week to go forward and apply this to your lives? Well, first, read it and meditate on it. I mean, wow, that's really a mind-blowing application, isn't it? I'm sure that's what you guys were all excited to come and hear. Wow, he told us, the preacher told us to read God's word. That's amazing. What an amazing insight, right? I know, I'll sign autographs afterwards. <laughs> Look, guys, I know it sounds simple, but the way that we treasure God's word, the way that we show it's valuable is that we read it. I was, uh, uh, earlier this year, I was traveling back from Florida. I was actually seeing uh, this man up here, Troy Cooper, and I was coming back home, and I was in the airport, and I had a long delay. And I uh, sat down next to a younger guy who's a Hindu guy. And uh, he saw me reading my Bible, and he asked me about it. He said, what are you reading? And so I began to explain to him, well, I'm, I'm reading the Bible, and I asked him, has anybody, as a Christian, ever fully explained the gospel to you before? And he said, no. And uh, I said, well, let me share. And so I got to share the gospel, and we had a good conversation. And, and I just asked him, I said, do you have a Bible? And he said, no. Uh, and so I said, well, here, I'm going to give you mine. And so I gave him my Bible, and, uh, and what he asked me next was really, was really neat. He said, he asked me, so... How do, how do I take care of it? And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, you see, in uh, Hinduism, we have, you know, we have scriptures too, and, but we have to keep our scriptures in, in this sacred box. We have to keep our scriptures in a, in a special box and wrapped up in a cloth, and we keep it in a certain shelf that my parents, they always keep it in that shelf, and we can never let it touch the ground, and, and, and that's how we honor it. That's how we, we, you know, we give honor to the scriptures. So how do I keep, what do I, do you have a cloth that you wrap it in? And I said, well, I said, no, man, you don't need to keep it in a cloth or put it on a special place. I said, you know, I, I guess the best way to honor God's word is read it as much as possible. Read it. Eat it. Soak it in. Consume it. Let it, let it guide your life. Trust and treasure the scriptures. Because, and I told him, you see, God looks at our hearts He's not concerned about outward things like whether we've got dust on our Bible or whether it accidentally fell on the ground. God's looking at our hearts. Do we trust and treasure what he says in our hearts? So how can you trust and treasure God's word? First, you can read it and meditate on it. You saw at the video at the beginning, one of our, uh, and right here on the side it says, look up to God. Our strategy at our church for how we can become growing disciples is that we look up to God. We look into community and we look out to the world. Look up look in and look out. And one of the ways that we look up is by coming together and worshiping like this and then by having alone time with God at home. That's how you worship him. He wants you. He doesn't want something from you. He wants you. We also have tools to help you get started on this. We have Bible reading plans on our websites. If, website, if you go to fellowshiposhawa.com and you go to resources, we have Bible reading plans and we also have stages grow groups where if you don't have anybody discipling you and you want to begin to grow, then you can come and there's a stages table over here and you can get more information about that, about how you can get into a relationship and begin to grow in your relationship with Jesus. And we'd love to help you out with that this morning. Now, lastly, we can trust and we can treasure God's word by obeying it. We trust and treasure God's word by reading it and by obeying it. 
Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. You see, obedience to God is a step of faith in God. Why is that? Because when God tells us to do something, when we obey, we trust that he knows what's best. We trust that he's not telling us to do something because he wants to make your life miserable or he wants to suppress you. We trust that he's good, that he's wise, that he knows what he's talking about. So one of the ways we can trust and treasure God's word is by obeying God's word. So I'll ask you this morning, what is God asking you to obey today? Is there something that you've read in God's word that you know God has called you to do that you've been putting off? That you've been resisting? Is there a higher authority in your life perhaps right now? Is there something else that you've put above God's word that you've let be your final authority? Have you reasoned away scripture to support your own desires or to support what you really want to do? As we close today, I want to share a personal story with you. Not yet. Is that the wrap-up music? Does that mean the preacher's gone too long? Yeah, I'm getting the hook. I felt like I was at the Emmys or something like that. So as we close today, I want to share a personal story with you. You see, what changed everything for me was God's word. Uh, About seven years ago, I was far from God. I was not living a life pleasing to God. I was not a follower of Jesus. And like I said earlier, my life was in turmoil. And really the only time I ever picked up God's word is for a source of inspiration. And I I had always just read the Bible because that's what I thought you were supposed to do. This language of like this, this love relationship with God's word, with God, that was foreign to me. That was not something that, that wouldn't have made sense to me. And I know there's probably a lot of you here who are thinking the same thing. That just sounds weird. I don't know why you would you know, love God's word or something like that. And I'm telling you guys, what changed my life was when God brought me to the end of myself. You see, I was tired of living in chaos and I was tired of living in brokenness. I knew that I had sinned and that I had, uh, that I had disobeyed God. And so I began to, for the first time in my life, cry out to God and go, God, I know you're real. Please show me who you are. You see, the key word is I got desperate. And we've got to get desperate. I wanted to know who God was, and so for the first time in my life, I began to read the Bible, not because I was supposed to, but because I wanted to know God, and you want to know what happened? All of a sudden, all those pages of scripture that had always like just bounced off of my head, and it never seemed to get soaked in, and I never seemed to get it, it came alive. God's word became alive to me. God began to speak to me through the scriptures. And I'll never forget the day when I read Matthew 10, 39. And Jesus spoke these words to me. This is what it says. He said, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll find it. Have you had an encounter with God's word like that? That's my desire for each and every one of you here this morning. Is that you would know the one true God. So if you haven't, I would encourage you to go home tonight and plead with God. God, show me who you are. I'm ready to know you. And open up your Bible and read and listen.